Morning, Joy Church. Welcome to our At The Movie series. How many of you are excited to be here in God's house with us? My name is Johnny Schmelzer, one of the youth pastors here, and it is my just joy and privilege to get to share the word with you this morning. If you have your Bible with you or you got it on your phone, then I would encourage you to turn with me to Luke chapter 15. That is found in the New Testament, third book in the New Testament, chapter 15, one of my favorite chapters in the whole Bible. And this morning, I want to talk to you about the original Finding Dory stories. Now, it might come as a surprise to you, but over 2,000 years ago, Jesus actually told us the original Finding Dory story. And I think Pixar, they won't tell you they did it. I think they stole some of their content from Jesus. Now, you might be surprised. You might be thinking, man, that guy at church is crazy. Pixar did not steal from the Word of God. They didn't steal from Jesus. But I want you to hear what Jesus had to say in the book of Luke chapter 15. And he told us three really simple stories. The first story he told us was about a shepherd. And it said the shepherd, he told us, the shepherd had a hundred sheep. And as he was looking through the sheep, he noticed, I have lost one of my sheep. I'm missing one. He's not with the flock. Now, I'm a youth pastor. And if I take the youth on a retreat, and I, if I lose one out of a hundred, I'm like, that's pretty good. Um, <laughs> That's only a 1% loss. Like, it really stinks for that family, but I'm like 1%. I had 100 kids. I only lost one. I'm not too adverse to that. And especially when it comes to sheep, my imagination as Jesus is telling this story, I think he would say, so the shepherd said, man, 1% loss. I'll just work out the profits and increase a little bit. I'm going to sell these sheep. But that's not what he says. He says that this shepherd left the 99 and went into the open country and began to search for the one sheep that he had lost. Now, you might not have known it, but you were singing about it this morning when we said he left the 99 to find the one. And Jesus said when that shepherd found that sheep, he began to rejoice. And he grabbed Mary's little lamb and put it up on his shoulders. And he went back and it says when he came back to the 99, he called all of his friends together and says, the lost sheep, the sheep that I had lost is found and it's back and he rejoices and they celebrate. <clears throat> and here's the crazy part. Jesus says, every time one lost sinner comes home to the Father, he says, that is what your Father God does. He rejoices and he celebrates. And if you think God is boring, it says he throws a big old party in heaven saying though the son or the daughter that I had lost is back home again and he celebrates. Jesus told the second story about a woman who had 10 precious silver coins. And what does she do? She loses one. Now, I think you know this moment. I am notorious for losing my wallet for losing my keys, and for losing my cell phone. Who does that? And you know the feeling. It never happens at a good time. It happens when you're late for work. You've already had a bad day. And I know for me, the keys are always at the same place on the counter. And I go, where are my keys? You know, like the devil is out to get me today. And so you go on the mad dash. You're ripping apart the house. You're ripping apart your room. You're ripping apart your bag. I mean, and they happen to be like next to the toaster. And what do you do? You go, God, thank you for my keys that they were once lost and they're found. <clears throat> and this is exactly what this woman does. Jesus says she diligently starts searching and she's ripping the house apart saying, this coin that is so precious to me that's lost, I have to find it. 
And back in Jesus' time, the floors were different than our floors. They were kind of like cobblestones. So it says she gets her broom and she's just sweeping and sweeping and sweeping. And finally, there it is, the last place I looked. And she grabs a coin and it's the same thing the shepherd does. She calls all of her friends together and she says, you have to rejoice with me because this coin that was lost is now found. And you know what Jesus says? He says, this is exactly what happens in heaven. When one lost son or daughter comes home, he says, there is a party that you might not know about in heaven that's going on. Because a lost son or daughter came home and God rejoices. And the third story Jesus told, the original Finding Dory story, was about a father who had two sons. And one day, his youngest son comes to him and says, Dad, I don't want to wait. I don't want to wait for my inheritance. I don't want to wait till you die to get everything that you've worked for. I want you to, to split everything you have and I'll take half and my other brother can get half. So the father graciously does this. Maybe you're familiar with this story. We call it the parable of the prodigal son or the story of the lost son. And it says the father graciously divides half of all his goods and he gives it to his son. And it says his son takes the inheritance that his father had worked so hard to obtain. And he goes off into a far country. And Jesus tells us that the son squandered everything that he, that his father had gained in reckless living. Now, when you look up this word reckless that Jesus uses in this context, it means wild, in debauchery, in sin, in wildness, in craziness. So you can imagine in partying and drinking and drugs. And later on in the story, Jesus tells us that even the son had used the money that his father had earned to go and obtain prostitutes. And the son eventually runs out of everything his father had worked so hard to gain. And the ultimate act of degradation for a young Jewish man, it says he sells himself out because he's so poor to just feed the pigs. And you think about this moment when the son knew the father's house and he knew the father's love and he'd taken and wasted all the father's resource and now a Jewish young man finds himself feeding pigs, dirty, alone. And it says he found himself at such a point of destitution that it says he was so hungry, he couldn't even buy himself something to eat, and he looked at the food that the pigs were eating. And it said he longed to eat it with them. And even then, no one would give him anything to eat. And I imagine this moment as he looks at the pigs, and Jesus says, this, this young man remembered, in my father's house, even the servants have it better off than me. And I just imagine this young man pulls out his pen and his paper, he starts to write out, Dad, I'm sorry. Dad, I've sinned against heaven and I've sinned against you and I'm not even worthy to be called a son anymore. If you just take me as a slave, I will work in your house. And he rolls it up and puts it in his pocket and he starts a long journey home. This young man had started with wealth, with everything the world said was success and now he ends up starving, dirty, hungry and broken. And I can just imagine on that long walk home all the thoughts he must have had. Will my father even take me in? Will he beat me? Will he berate me? And as he comes up and he can see his house way off in the distance, I expect the father to be angry and I expect the father to have judgment. Son, I told you, if you wasted what I had, you'd never have a place in this house. But do you know what Jesus says? He says, when the son was still a far way 
off. The father felt compassion for his son. And the father didn't even wait for him to get home. It says he ran to that son. He doesn't wait for him to get cleaned up in all this filth and all this dirty rags. It says he grabs his son and embraces him. And he kisses the son. And the son starts to spew out, Dad, I'm sorry. Dad, I'm not even worthy to be your son. I've sinned against heaven. I've sinned against you. And the dad just interrupts him in the middle of his apology letter. And he says, Grab the best robe that we have in the house and grab that golden ring and you go find that fatted calf and you kill it because my son that once was dead is now alive again. And he calls his friends and he calls his family and just like that shepherd did and just like that woman did, Jesus calls everyone together and says, you have to celebrate with me because my son is alive again. And you know something? This story was so clear, Jesus didn't even have to explain it like he did with the shepherd and the woman. Everyone who heard him knew this is what God really is like. And this really is who God is. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning. God, we thank you for your word that God, it pierces us, God, in our heart and our soul. And God, we want to hear from you this morning. Lord, in the midst of, I don't know the pain people walked in with. I don't know the problems they walked in with. But Father, I pray that this morning you would open up our hearts. You'd open up our ears to hear you and our hearts to receive your word. We love you. In the name of Jesus, everybody said. Amen. Amen. Now, maybe you're asking yourself this question. Why exactly did Jesus tell these three stories? And these were called parables, which really simply... Jesus told these simple stories about God in a way that we could understand so that people could know what is God really like. Because when Jesus showed up on the scene, many people were confused about God and many other people were offended by God. And here's how you know. If you have your Bible, and I hope you still have it open to Luke chapter 15, here's a Luke chapter 15 verse 1 that goes right before those stories I just told you. Now the tax collectors and the sinners, these were the worst of the worst, the scum of the earth. They were all drawing near to Jesus. They were drawing near to him. Jesus welcomed the broken. He welcomed the poor. He welcomed those who were living in sin to come to him. And the Pharisees and the scribes, the religious people, the church people, they knew every song. They could recite every scripture that we're going to talk about in church today. They grumbled. They complained. They were offended by Jesus. And here's why. Why were they offended? Because this man received sinners and he even eats with them. And this didn't make sense in their mind. If this man really is God, he can't love sinners. He can't love these filthy, dirty people. So Luke chapter 15 then says this, so this is why Jesus told these parables. And here's the thing, I really believe in our day, 2,000 years later, many people are confused about God and many people are offended by God. You know, I want to just quickly, we could talk here for a long time, but we're going to just move past it quickly. We took a long, not quickly in the first service. <laughs> Some people fall into a legalistic perception of God and all they see is God is harsh, God is cold, God is distant, and he's far away from us. They see Christianity as just a set of really harsh rules we have to follow. And either they live this kind of Christianity and it's rigid and God seems so far away, or people see this and they're offended by it. I could never love God. How could God send sinners to hell? How could a good God allow evil to happen in our world? And because of either a legalistic faith or a legalistic view of God, People are confused, I don't get it, or they're offended, I don't want anything to do with him. Wow. 
And sometimes what we do to avoid legalism is we jump across on the other side and we fall into something we call greasy grace gospel. Which says, no, that's not what God's like. God isn't harsh. God isn't that way. You can do whatever you want and God will accept you. But the scary truth is a legalistic gospel and a greasy grace gospel is no gospel at all. Because a gospel that says, I have to earn my way to heaven, you'll never get there. But also a gospel that says, God doesn't care how I act. God doesn't care how I live. That says, I can have sex outside of marriage on Saturday. And as long as I say a hallelujah on Sunday morning, I'm good. And God doesn't care about my daily actions. He doesn't care what I think. He doesn't care what I do. That's no gospel at all. And here's what happens. It's this never-ending cycle of confusion and offense at God. Because your coworkers see you and you have just as much sin. And you treat people just as badly as they do. And they say, and you go, well, I'm under grace. And they go, if Christians are that way, I don't want anything to do with God. If a Christian's just as sinful as I am, just as depressed as I am, just as addicted as I am, I don't want anything to do with that. And you have this never-ending cycle of, I'm confused by God, I'm offended by God, I don't want anything to do with him. That was alive and well in Jesus' day, and I believe it's alive and well in our day too. And here's why I love Jesus. Jesus comes in, a, in the middle of confusion and offense, and he cuts right to the heart of it. And he says, if you want to know what God is like, if you're confused about him, if you're offended by him, I'm not going to mince words. Jesus was pretty clear. I will show you what he is like. And that's why Jesus told us these stories. To say, this is what God really is like. And this is something I just love about Jesus. I think many of us, we want a cute, cuddly little American Jesus that we can hold. And he thinks like us. He talks like us. He votes like us. He likes what we like and he hates what we hate. And we think, I just have my cute little American Jesus and he's just like me. Every time you think you get him in a box, he kicks himself out. I promise you that. And this is just what happened in Jesus' day. They say, God can't be that way. God could never be with sinners. God could never be that kind and that merciful. And Jesus says, you do not understand God. And some people on the other side say, no, God can't be that harsh or God can't be that holy. He can't be that legalistic. And he says, no, you don't understand God either. I think about Jesus in John chapter four. It says he's walking through Samaria and he sees a woman sitting at a well by herself. And not just a woman, a sinful woman. And Jesus breaks every rule. He just goes and sits down with her, a Jewish man, a teacher or a rabbi, with a woman all alone. And everyone would say, Jesus, what are you doing? You're not allowed to do that. But Jesus says, I will sit with her and I will speak with her. And it says this woman runs back to her town and says, come and see the man who told me everything I've ever done. And in his grace and in his kindness and in his mercy, a whole town comes and says, we don't just believe in him because of the woman's testimony. We've seen him. I think about Jesus in John chapter 8 when there's a sinful woman drugged before all the Pharisees, all the scribes, all the religious people, and everyone has stones and they're ready, ready to murder her. And they, they could have, according to the law of Moses. And Jesus comes in the midst of a, of a mob, in the midst of the chaos, and everyone expects him to condemn her. And he says, he who's without sin, you throw the first stone. And one by one, stones start to drop. And I can't imagine the fear this woman felt because in this moment she realizes the only one who can throw a stone, he might. I don't know if she was confused by God. I don't know if she was offended by God. But Jesus in his grace and in his kindness, he kneels down to her and says, woman, where now are your accusers? She said, they're gone, my Lord. 
go and sin no more. And Jesus comes with radical love and kindness and mercy. But then sometimes Jesus acts totally different than we think Jesus should act. I think about when Jesus goes to the temple and he doesn't act like Jesus. He starts flipping over tables and he says, you've turned my father's house into a den of thieves. And you go, WWJD, Jesus, I just did it. Like, I am Jesus doing what Jesus does, like flipping over tables and calling people names and acting radical. And some people look at that and say, God cannot be that way. You know, I think about Jesus, he's teaching. And he says, if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. People go, that's too hard. He says, if your hand causes you to sin, chop it off. Your foot causes you to sin, chop it off. He says, it's better to go to heaven looking crazy than to go to hell with all your limbs intact. And you know what happened in Jesus' day? People were offended by this. He says, you want to follow me? Eat my flesh, drink my blood, and you have to leave everything in this whole world behind if you want to be my follower. And in Jesus' day, there was this problem. People were offended by him. They were confused by him. But I want you to see, in the middle of that, we don't have to live offended at God. We don't have to leave confused by God because Jesus came to reveal the Father to us. And I just blew my next point. When Jesus showed up on the scene, he was doing something absolutely radically new. He could have called God anything. He could have introduced us to a picture of God in many different ways. But do you know the way that Jesus introduced us to God? In the Old Testament, God is called Father 15 times. That's 39 books and thousands of pages. 15 times. But when Jesus shows up on the scene, over 165 times, he comes and says, you are confused by God. You're offended by God. I want to introduce you to him. He is Father in the midst of confusion and offense at God, Jesus comes to introduce us to who God really is, to introduce us to God as Father. I want to read you a quote that just rocked my world. It says this, What is a Christian? This question can be answered in many ways, but the richest answer I know is that a Christian is one who has God as Father. You sum up the whole New Testament religion if you describe it as the knowledge of God as one's holy father. If you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity, find out how much he makes of the thought of being God's child and having God as his or her father. If this is not the thought that prompts and controls his worship and his prayers and his whole outlook on life, it means that he does not understand Christianity very well at all. Hear this, for everything that Christ taught, everything that makes the New Testament new and better than the old, everything that is distinctively Christian as opposed to merely Jewish is summed up in the knowledge of the fatherhood of God. Jesus came on the scene to introduce people to a father. Father is the Christian name for God. And our understanding of Christianity cannot be better than our grasp of adoption. And Jesus knew this better than anybody else. When Jesus was baptized, before he'd done anything for God, he hadn't healed one sick person, he hadn't done one miracle. It says, as John baptized him, a voice echoed from heaven that said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And here's something remarkable. Jesus would face stronger opposition and persecution and hatred, stronger than any of us will ever know. 
And he was not once moved by it. They could not shake him because he was rooted and grounded in this idea. It doesn't matter what the world thinks of me. It doesn't matter if I'm standing face to face before Pontius Pilate and he says he has authority to release him, but he doesn't. I am confident in my identity as a son of God, beloved. And all the praise couldn't shake Jesus either. People who were praising him and not like a, an honoring God kind of way saying, Jesus, we want you to do this and we want you to do that and you're the best and you can multiply bread and loaves and you can feed the world. That didn't shake Jesus. He didn't get a big head. Why? Persecution could not shake him. The praise could not shake him because he already had the greatest affirmation he would ever receive from his father. And when he knew, I'm a son beloved by my father. If the world hates me, I'm a son beloved by my father. And all the praise can never add up to the one thing my father's already said about me. And I want to ask you this this morning. If you are a follower of Christ, can you say that same thing? Do you know your identity as a son or as a daughter of God? Is that the thought that prompts your worship and prompts your praise? And is that the thing that causes your heart to burn inside of you? Because just like Jesus came to introduce people to this picture and idea of father, son or daughter today, I want you to know that you have a father who loves you. I want you to know it just as real and as personally as Jesus did. I want to read you three simple points, and then we're out of here. Then you can go to In-N-Out Burger, wherever you're headed. The first thing is that your father loves you, and he wants you to know his love. You know, I think for many Christians and many people, the love of God, it's vague, it's esoteric, it's somewhere out there. But do you know something? The Bible says that you can know the Father's love. I love this. In 1 John 3, 1, it says this. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God. And so we are. Your Father wants you to know His love at the core of who you are, that everything you do from this moment forward will be rooted and grounded in the fact I am loved. I am a son. I am a daughter beloved by my Father. I right, think about those three stories I told you earlier. Your father says, just like a sheep that wanders and a shepherd would risk losing the others to find him, that's you. That's you. I was willing to risk leaving the 99 to find you. Just like a woman searching desperately for something so valuable, God says, that's you. You're valuable to me. I love you and I want you to know my love. And just like a father would welcome home a wayward, sinful son and lavish love upon him. God says, that's you. But here's the thing I find in many Christians, and I can say from personal experience, I lived here. We know in our mind that God loves us, but I used to live the, I call it, you know, either tulip or not tulip, daisy Christianity. And if I miss my flower, I don't know flowers, I apologize. He loves me. I'm loved by God. The next day, he loves me not. I'm not loved by God. You know, he loves me. I'm chosen. I'm not forsaken. And the next day, oh, I've blown it so bad. I'm a million miles away. I don't feel him. God feels so far away. Can I tell you something? This changed who I am. Like there's not many things that change the kind of person you are than this fact in my life. Not just does God love you and want you to know his love, but the greatest expression of love that ever has been and ever will be was expressed for you in the cross of Jesus Christ. 
right? When you don't feel loved, when you feel all alone, when you feel forsaken, when for some reason you think God does not love me, you look at the cross and you see the love of God demonstrated for you. It's there. Like there was no greater way and there is no greater way. And if this does not satisfy that searching in your soul, it never will be satisfied. When God sent his only son to bear your sin and to bear your guilt and to bear your shame, that when you were a sinner like me on your way to hell, and God said, I will pour all your sin on my sinless son on that cross and he will be forsaken and he will be crucified. When you look at that cross, you see the father's love demonstrated for you. I want to tell you something, no matter how you feel, no matter your circumstances, your situations, if you feel like God is a thousand miles away, you fix your eyes on that cross. And when you feel like God is so far and you feel so unloved, when you look at the cross, you say, this is what my father did so I could be washed in his blood, so I could be cleansed, so I could have hope. And I could have freedom. Maybe this morning you don't feel loved. Maybe you've been a Christian all your life. And you say, Johnny, I don't know that I am loved. You look at that cross. And you see it every day. On your best day, you look at the cross. And on your worst day, you fix your eyes on that cross. And you say, Father, I might be the worst son in your house or the worst daughter. I might feel like I have no place here. But I look at that cross and I see your love. I see your love. You know that story about the shepherd that left the 99 to find the one. Our God didn't just leave heaven through the incarnation to become Christ. It says that Jesus became the Lamb of God to bear our sin so he could give us life eternal. A shepherd became a sheep to save some lost and wayward broken sheep. And you look at the Lamb of God who was slain for the sin of the world. And it's not just the sin of the world, it's our sin. It's your sin. It's my sin. You think about that woman who is diligently, desperately searching for a lost coin. Something precious and valuable. And you see your father willing to shed the precious blood of Jesus Christ. More precious than silver. More precious than gold. So you could be washed and cleansed. And you look at a father who forgave his son when he didn't deserve it. And who restored his son when he did not earn it. And you see, I come to the cross, Father. And I don't deserve your love. I didn't earn it. And the Father forgives us. And the Father restores us. And the Bible says he clothes us in robes of righteousness. And he says, there's a place at my table for you. He says, there's a chair with your name engraved on it. And no matter how you feel, I don't wipe out your name. There's a plate here with really good Italian food. My mom makes the best Italian food in the world. There's pasta and Italian sausage right there with your name on it. Because I'm loved. And I'm chosen. If you'd close your eyes this morning. The last thing I want to tell you is this. Not only is our father like that father that stood a long way off and waited for that wayward son to come home. One of my favorite scriptures in the whole Bible is Romans chapter 5, verse 6. It says, For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But hear this this morning. God shows, He demonstrates, He manifests His love for us. And that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. 
right, when you are still lost, when you're at the worst of the worst, when you are so far away from God, when you're in the midst of your worst sin, God says, that is the moment when I said, son, come home. Daughter, come home. And I'm not just going to passively wait for you to come home. I will actively pursue your salvation at the cross of Jesus. And this morning, I want to plead with you, if you do not know Christ, if you do not know the Father's love, let this be the day that you say, Father, I'm home. Father, I want to come home. I don't want to live outside your house any longer. And this morning, if you are here, and I don't care if you grew up in church your whole life, there is a day when you have to say, God, I'm all in. Father, I'm here. Father, I'm home. Jesus, I have sin. I have burdens. I have bondages. I have addictions. There's a moment when you have to say, God, I'm all in for you. You can't earn it. You can't deserve it. You never will. Grace is a gift. Salvation is a gift you receive. And this morning, if you're here, as every eye is closed, if you say, you know what? Today's my day. I want to give my life to Christ. Could you lift your hand? We want to pray for you. Right now. If that's you, say, I want to give my life to Jesus. I want to give my life to the Father. Awesome. See that hand. I'm going to give you a couple more seconds. If you say, today's my day. I want to give my life to Jesus. I want to come home to my Father. Right now, if that's you, lift your hand. We're going to pray together. Awesome. See those hands. Awesome. Praise God. Awesome. Last chance. Don't wait. Don't wait till tomorrow. Don't wait till next week. Don't wait till you feel like you can earn it. You never will. Awesome. Church, can we pray and rejoice? There's going to be a party in heaven in about 30 seconds because people are coming home to the Father today. Can we repeat after me? Dear Father, thank you that you sent Jesus to die on the cross for my sins. Thank you that there is a place for me in your house at your table. Jesus, you are Lord and I thank you that you are alive. I give you my life in the name of Jesus. Amen. Come on, give us a shout of praise with all those people. Amen. Woo. Man, there's a party in heaven. You can't hear it, but it's going on. I'm going to quickly pray for two more groups of people. If you just close your eyes one last time. If you say, you know what, I'm a Christian, I'm a follower of Christ, but I know that there are some places that I just need to come home to the Father. This doesn't mean that you've left Jesus or that you've, you've left your faith. But I think for many of us, there's seasons where our heart wanders, our heart gets far from the Father's love, from the Father's house. If that's you, and you say, Johnny, this morning, I just want to come home all the way doesn't mean you maybe you physically left the church and now you're returning or maybe that is just in your heart it's spiritual if that's you would you lift your hand I'm going to pray for you the father wants to lavish his love on you this morning that you wouldn't feel the guilt or the shame or the condemnation you wouldn't feel a distance if that's you just lift your hand this morning as every eye is closed I'm going to pray for you awesome see that hand anybody else awesome awesome I'm just going to pray over these people father I thank you for every person that lifted their hand Jesus, I thank you. And Lord, your call has come. Are you tired? Just come. Are you weary? Are you heavy laden? Are you burdened? Are you broken and addicted? Just come. Lord, I pray that this moment would be a marking moment in their life. That Jesus, forever they could look back to Sunday, July 29th. And they could say, that was the day I just came home to my father's house. And my father's love. God, I pray that God, they would know 
that you meet them with your grace and with your love and with your kindness. God, welcome them home. God, if there's anything holding them back, any sins, any weights, any bondages, let it fall as they come to the Father's house. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. Last but not least, if you're a follower of Christ, I want to pray for you. If you just lift your hands, if you say, you know what, I'm in the Father's house. I know the Father's love. You know, to be totally honest, sometimes I read that quote, and I just say, God, I want to know you more. God, help this hard heart and this dull mind and these blind eyes see you for who you really are. In all your beauty, in all your glory, in all your majesty. I just want to pray that this morning, God, will just give you a fresh awe and wonder. Amen? Father, I pray for every person here. Father, I just thank you, Jesus, that you would give them in this moment a fresh view of the Father. That God, they would not see you as cold and distant as far away. God, but they would see you as the Father who loves them. And just like Jesus, your identity was rooted and grounded in the fact that I am a son beloved by my Father. God, I pray that they would leave this place and there would be a difference. God, a difference in their thinking, a difference in their speaking, that they would say, I'm a son or I'm a daughter. There's a place at my Father's table. There's a place in my Father's house. God, I pray there would be a fresh confidence, a fresh boldness that all insecurity would just go. To God, any sense of unworthiness, or I'm an orphan outside the Father's house, that would go. God, show them your love. Open their eyes to see the love that you have so freely lavished upon us. In the name of Jesus, everybody said, amen. Give the Lord a round of applause. Shout. <laughs>